The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of sustainable period products. We go deep with the founder and chief ovulator of the periodical, Bethany Killicote. Bethany opens up about why she started a side hustle to empower better periods and to give women access to quality menstrual hygiene products. We discuss why organic tampons are better for you. You know, a little bit like how organic strawberries are better for you. Same kind of principle, different hole. How can you make your period more sustainable? Bethany talks about how and why she chose the products in her growing periodical range that you can get delivered to your front door. We discuss our periods, the period products we use, products we shouldn't use, why talking about periods and period pain at work is so important, why menstrual leave should be more widely accepted. Bethany talks about her own experience with pain and endometriosis and shares some tips on starting a side hustle. A few years ago, I had a patient called Georgia come see me and we talked, as you usually do in a gynecologist's office, about periods. I'll never forget Georgia because she literally beamed as she talked about her monthly cycles. She then shared with me a piece she wrote about her periods. Georgia writes, Most women are horrified when I say I love my period. It's that time of month I feel most brave in all of my vulnerabilities. I love the way they make me feel earthy, feminine, and connected. I'm in tune with my emotions, my thoughts. With all its moody, erratic behaviours, it comforts me, it holds me. Each month, reborn. My period is me, and I dread the day I no longer have them in my life. Georgia wrote a poem titled Ode to My Period, and it goes like this. I love my period. I love the cramps. I love the moods. I love the blood. I am untouchable. I am mother. I am earth. I am finally, for a moment, me. I breathe. Thank you so much, Georgia. I also wanted to share with you an excerpt from a great book called A History of Women in 100 Objects by Maggie Andrews and Janice Lomas. Chapter 7 is on female hygiene products. Janice Lomas writes... The invention of the sanitary towel transformed the difficulties and potential embarrassment of menstruation for millions of women. The first towels were produced in the UK by Southalls in 1888. In the USA, Listers produced the first commercial disposable sanitary towel in 1896. However, the cost of these products meant that in both countries they were beyond the means of the majority of women. It was to be decades before they were in common use for most women in Europe and the USA. In many parts of the developing world, they are still not available and women are still subjected to real difficulties and worry each month of their reproductive lives. Going back a little bit to the earliest historical record of tampon use that is in ancient Egypt. Lomas writes... In ancient Egypt, where medical records describe tampons fashioned with papyrus, the physician Hippocrates in ancient Greece described women using tampons of lint wrapped around a small piece of wood, while the Romans used wool. 
At a later point, sheep's wool, cotton wool balls and sponges also had a role to play as homemade tampons. It wasn't until 1929 that tampons with a cardboard applicator were invented, while Tampax came onto the market in the mid-1930s. The history of the sanitary towel and tampon represents a turning point in women's lives. Before sanitary towels, women were often afraid to travel or play sports during their period, and menstruation was seen as something to be embarrassed about and never mentioned. It was often referred to as the curse. This has gradually changed, and now sanitary towels and tampons are advertised openly in many countries, and shame and embarrassment are becoming much less commonplace. The introduction of the sanitary towel provided a hygienic, convenient, and disposable way of dealing with menstruation, and it relegated what was a major obstacle to women taking a full active role in all aspects of life to a mere inconvenience. Its introduction gave women more freedom, not simply physical freedom, but also freedom from awkwardness, embarrassment, and prejudice. And now onto my chat with Bethany Killicote. I hope you enjoy our chat. Bethany Killicote, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I am very excited to be talking about the periodical because I have a um, uh, one of your periodical tampon boxes in front of me, and uh, at some point I wanted to talk about the clever messaging behind the periodical. Uh, before we start, though, I wanted to ask you, what, what made you start it? What made you start the periodical? What is it? Can you explain to our listeners what it is? Yeah, sure. So the periodical is a monthly um, subscription service. Um, and one of our taglines is get your PMS sorted. And that's get your p- periodical monthly subscription <laughs> sorted. <laughs> so we have a lot of fun with the puns. Um, and yeah, it's, a, it, it's built around uh, wanting to get more sustainable and healthier products uh, to women. Um, and, you know, we have a subscription for everything. Everything arrives at our front door. So why shouldn't our tampons? Um, and, you know, it's like a subscription for your most natural subscription of all. So that's, the, you know, what the periodical is. And each month you get uh, a box with um, a few tampons and some chocolate and some tea Um delivered and a a nice message just to give you a bit of a boost and a bit of encouragement um, while you're perioding and the whole idea is just to remind people to slow down and take a moment for yourself when you have your period Uh, so yeah that's sort of the concept behind it and yeah I started it because I was looking for um, I guess that place to create a sustainable business that helped women and made a difference and I looked around and I saw that there was a, a real opportunity um, around the way that we connected with our periods. Uh, most conventional tampons take 500 years to break down um, because they're wrapped in plastic. They've got a plastic lining around them to keep them all silky and smooth. And so that's doing harm to our bodies, that's doing harm to the environment, to the whales that eat them or, you know, the birds that chew them up in landfill. And so I wanted to make sure that more women had access to better products uh, and on a journey towards using fully sustainable products. Not all women are there yet. So this is sort of that place where women can take the next step to uh, better products. 
But also a really key component of the periodical is the sisterhood and supporting our sisters who drop out of school because they get their period when they're 10 or 12 and that's it for their education and it keeps them in the cycle of poverty. So we've partnered with uh, an organisation in Uganda that I've been supporting for over 10 years and know, and know very intimately their work and they do a lot of work around uh, girls in school uh, and so they're providing menstrual products to girls but they're also doing a lot of education around um, menstruation, um, breaking taboos and shame in the community and also a lot of um, sexual health education as well. So aiming to keep girls in school who might get pregnant when they're 15 and, and drop out. So uh, that's, I guess, the big picture of, of why I started the periodical. How long ago was, was that when you started this? Uh, I started working on it back in 20. 17 so three years and it took a while to get there because life happens and in that time I started with a, with a business partner and she ended up moving for her career and I ended up getting engaged and planning a wedding and starting a new job so a lot happened in that time so it's been uh, just over a year since the product has been live and people have been able to purchase it uh, so yeah, it's taken it's taken longer than I expected for it to get to market. That's for sure. But yeah, it's here now. <laughs> and how did you research your tampons? The tampons that we use that are in your periodical um, boxes, where do they come from? Yeah. So uh, obviously, quality was the most important thing for me, uh, and so I had a lot of conversations with a lot of manufacturers and ended up landing with one in um, somewhere in Europe and uh, in Italy to be exact. That's where um, in Europe is where most of the um, tampons are made and where organic cotton is grown. Uh, and so we've got a, we've got a partnership there, but it was really, uh, you know, not all, all tampons kind of look the same, mm. <laughs> but not all are created equal. So it was just making sure that, I was I was comfortable that it was the best product, um, and this one is organic certified. So even though I haven't personally gone through the process of becoming organically certified, that's a that's a whole other process um, for my business to go through. The tampons I'm using are so that was very very important. So in the tampons uh, that you use, is there anything else in them apart from cotton? Nothing. There is nothing, Dr. Tash. It's all 100% organic cotton, including the string. Uh, and so that's sort of very different to the conventional tampons you'd buy on the shelves, which might have, um, you know, pieces of rayon. Um, cotton is one of the most heavily um, pesticide um, crop in the world. It uses about 25% of the world's pesticides. Um, and so when you're using conventional tampons, you're putting those toxins straight up your vagina. Um, we don't know what's in them. There's no ingredients list on tampon boxes, which is an absolute crime against people with uteruses. Uh, but with um, with the periodical tampons, it's 100% organic cotton. One thing I like about your tampons is um, they're quite easy to insert because normally I I only ever use tampons with the applicators 
But what I found with yours, for some reason, they're just easier to insert. So I thought that was something I'd let you know about. I don't know why that's the case, yeah, but good. Uh, yeah. And I love the box and the way that, yeah, you, there's definitely a pun on words like uh, good for your body, great for the world. Uh, these tampons contain no nasties. We've pulled some strings and these tampons use only the best cotton nature can make because your hoo-ha deserves the best, period, <laughs> full stop. And uh, uh, it talks about absorbency, 9 to 12 grams, approximately 11 grams suitable for medium flow and um, – what else is it said? Packaging is made from recycled paper. Please recycle me. And uh, what else? These tampons are bloody good quality. And that's when I thought, yeah, this is an Australian behind. <laughs> this isn't a, only anyone who uses the word bloody is an Aussie. Tampons are made with care in Europe and packaged with love in Australia. And, um, yeah, so I think everything makes a difference when, especially for women when we're using things for self-care and having a nice little box uh, that has nice little messages like that definitely helps. Um, and you've got a background in marketing, don't you? So this would have all kind of come together organically for you, I would think, the puns. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it did. Um, I love puns and uh, I can't take credit for all of them, though. It was, it was a collaborative effort and it was fun just like chatting to um, – older people that I worked with, like an older man I worked with who was coming up with these puns for me. And I was like, I was like, when else would I talk to you about periods? <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. One of my yeah. one of my very good friends uh in developing the Fanny Mechanic message, he was key behind a lot of the messaging and the graphics. And I thought, who would have thought a guy would have been helping me with this, you know? But yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun coming up with the brand and, yeah, it was the highlight of the process really. And can I ask, uh, you don't have – you've, you've only got tampons, you don't have pads in your range, is that right? Yeah, and that's simply because uh, as a solid business owner doing it um, on the side, it's it's had, I've had to develop it slowly um, and – Again, making sure I get the absolute primo quality. So I am in discussions at the moment with a couple of um, pad providers. And, and the main thing that I'm trying to work around is uh, the plastic packaging. It is a lot more plastic that wraps up a, a pad compared to a tampon. Uh, so just making sure that, you know, from a sustainability and environmental perspective, um, it hits all those marks. Mm. So stay could, tuned. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm curious because they could use a lot of uh, offcuts, a lot of fabric that gets thrown out to just um, wrap up an, uh, a pad, I would think. But then totally. I, I would imagine that would take a lot of work. But when you think about all the fabric that we throw out in the world, um, yeah, you, know, you could wrap things up in fabric and give it a nice little different flair. So pads may be coming. Yes, they are coming. Okay, yes. cool. Yeah. And um, I like your inclusion of chocolate and tea. How did you go about choosing the chocolate and the tea that you include in your subscription? It was it was a really hard process. I had to drink a lot of tea and eat a lot of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, really it came down to, again, the quality, uh, making sure that uh, it was organic and Australian-made um, and female-run businesses uh, so 
uh, I connected really naturally with uh, the founder of Heyday, which um, is another um, Sydney lady. We connected to a friend. Her name's Jade, and she's a naturopath, actually. So I just really resonated with her, I guess, the intention of her teas. Uh, and I drank a lot of them. And the one I've ended up putting in this current box is called Rice Pud. And it's just really delicious. It's sort of got that sweet sort of kind of vibe to it without actually being sweet. So it's quite nice to have when you are on your period. Uh, and the chocolate, Hey Day, uh, no, Hey Tiger chocolate. It's funny. They both start with hay, hmm. um, hey, Day, hey Day Tea and Hey Tiger chocolate. Uh, again, you know, they're, you know, organic. These ones are vegan because um, I wanted it to be something that everyone could eat and you know, people who weren't vegan really did like this chocolate. So I thought that was a good fit. Um, and they also give um, a percentage of profits to uh, hunger projects. So, you know, again, they had that purpose element. So that's why I've chosen them for these boxes. We might change it up from time to time. Um, but, yeah, it's re- it's really making sure that there's, there's that values alignment. Yeah, I was going to ask, and, and from month to month, would it vary in what I would expect to get in my box? Yeah, we might throw some surprises in there every now and then. And actually, we have transitioned because I wanted to cut down on packaging and, I guess, carbon emissions. We've transitioned now to um, an every a, a three a shipment every three months. So uh, you'll subscribe and you'll get enough products to last you for three periods. Um, just to just to save a bit. Awesome. Yeah. And um, recently, you wrote a blog how I cycle with my business. Can you tell yeah. us more about that? Yeah. So that was, uh, that's something I've been sort of practicing for the last few years. The more that I've become aware of my period, you know, I used to be very much, and I'm sure many women can relate to this, you know, your period comes and it's a massive hassle and I was never prepared. I was always the girl who was in denial. So it's hilarious that I actually run a tampon business. And, you know, I, would, I wouldn't I would respect my body when I had my period. I'd push through. Sometimes I'd have such bad cramps, I'd have to go home, I'd sleep for a few hours and then I'd be back online working. And I didn't respect what was happening for my body hormonally throughout the month. And, it, you know, it really was this work that led me into talking more about my period, realising that I had this whole monthly cycle Um and I was, I was getting acupuncture at the time and I just learned so much about the different hormonal levels that changed. And so I started to incorporate, uh, you know, where I was at at different stages of the month with my work. So the periodical is my passion slash side project, um, which I do when I'm not at my corporate job. So I work in the city uh, in a corporate environment. So it's not the easiest thing to say to your boss, oh, sorry, I don't feel like coming to work today. I have my period. Like they're not going to respect that. And so for me, it's been learning how to do it on my own and look and look for ways. So, you know, pre-COVID, it was tracking my cycle and knowing when I was due and saying, I'm going to work from home on day one or day two of my cycle because I know for me that there are days where I need to be at home, I need to be quiet and calm, I need a heat pack on my belly and I need to be able to take a nap. Uh, and then, you know, as I come out of my um, my menstrual phase, 
you know, my inner winter, if you want to call it that, um, and move into the follicular phase where I've got ideas happening. And so right now, actually, I am actually in my menstrual phase. And so it's perfect timing to sit at home. Um, and I've just been, I can feel already I'm getting into that place of wanting to plan and brainstorm and having ideas. And so later in the week, uh, I've got a brainstorm um, scheduled in with my team um, to plan our next campaign and then uh, someone actually asked me to do uh, to do a presentation this week uh, something that would be filmed and I, I actually said can we do it you know at this time and and there was a little bit of pushback and I was sort of like why and I, I didn't want to say because I have my period that day <laughs> um, so I, I just said look there's just you know some some personal reasons and you know I also knew that I get quite painful periods and I wouldn't be up for even talking to anyone, let alone doing a presentation. So I've managed to push that back to my ovulation phase, which is where I'm much more articulate and much more confident. So, you know, even this interview with you, Dr. Tash, we've we've rescheduled it a few times. And when I realised it fell on my menstrual phase, I knew that I would have to just prior to our conversation, I've meditated, I've grounded myself because I don't have that natural hormonal support to give me the words to say and to be outgoing. I'm, I'm feeling quite insulated and introverted right now. So it's just knowing, I guess, for me, where my hormonal levels are at each stage and so naturally what I can do in that stage, but then also how I support myself if I do need to give a presentation while I'm menstruating, what I can do to support me and to make sure that I'm not floundering and and it did come after giving a presentation one day um the day that my period was due and I was speaking and I lost my words and my mouth started running off and I've got about two sentences in before realizing I didn't know what I was saying and luckily I was in front of my colleagues and so I just stopped myself and laughed and said I'm sorry I don't know what just happened and started again but it it just triggered something and I thought oh my goodness this is real my hormones are really in control here and I need to work with them, not against them. Um, do you think, though, that given that so many women have bad period pain that we should actually just say to people, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to be on day one of my menstrual cycle that day. I don't feel like doing anything. Let's reschedule. Don't you, don't you think we should be more open about it and uh, and that way people can maybe finally realise how difficult it is for women? Um what are your thoughts? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm it, a real fan of that. And if people have an issue with it, I mean, I can't imagine people are going to fire you, but it's more about understanding what women go through, God damn it. You know, like that's yeah. what we need to talk about. That's what needs to happen. Totally. What are I 100% agree. Yeah, I, I really agree. And, you know, it, it is something that I have practiced from time to time in my job prior to this. My, my manager was a man and I would sometimes just say to him, hey, buddy, I've got really bad period cramps right now. I'm going to go home. And he'd just kind of like or nod and kind of get all awkward. And I was just like, deal with it. Like I just said period in the office. It doesn't matter. But there was a bit more of a casual work environment where you could kind of get away with it. It was another startup. And mm. <laughs> so in this environment, I have really thought long and hard about even like the idea of menstrual leave. And the jury is still very much out for me. You know. Um, 
As so I, I have endometriosis and so my period is really painful and debilitating. And in the last year, it's um, it's really affected me more than it ever has. And there's been times when I've been in a meeting and I've gone white and I've had to walk out of the room, grab a banana in the kitchen, scoff it, walk back into the room, update on something. And then the meeting will finish. And I, I, I've been fortunate that my manager and, and the manager above her, they're both women. And so I say to them, I have to go home. My period's coming. I'm really sick. And they know. And I've I've brought my manager along the journey with me of being diagnosed with endo and, and dealing with my period pain. And she's been wonderful and understanding. And several colleagues who I've had to lean on, I've I've let them into that space and said, this is what's going on. I actually need some support. Um, but I, I don't know. The person who was pushing me for this presentation is a guy I'm just not comfortable saying that to because mm, I, ju I just feel like it would just be such an uncomfortable conversation. Mm. So, you know, and, and because for me it comes with um, sharing something very personal about my health that, um, I'm just coming to terms with. So for me, it's a little bit different, but, you know, I agree. I do wish that we had, you know, a workplace and a society that was a little bit more open. And, um, but, you know, with me, I, I posted on my Instagram, on the, the periodical Instagram that I've got my period. So, you know, if people at work want to know, they can just follow, follow that and be like, all right, that's perioding. Mm. You won't see her for two days, you know. <laughs> Well, that guy that you mentioned who wanted you to do that talk, uh, you know, a lot. we shouldn't forget that a lot of men are with women or live with women who have bad period pain, who have endometriosis, and they themselves can see what women go through. So many of these men may not be surprised to hear of fellow colleagues with really bad period pain. I don't think it's foreign yeah. to a lot of men. But just because I don't talk about it doesn't mean they don't know it exists. And it, it goes back to my theory, which is I feel that women need to talk about it and and that, that's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only, the only way things are going to change are by people actually talking about it and that is going to be women. Mm. And sometimes we have to overcome that fear um, or that fear of judgment um, to get the conversation going. So. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think if it wasn't tied to um, a, a more emotional thing of what I'm going through with endo, mm. it would be an easier conversation to have. Um, but, yeah, I 100% agree. And I know that through having more conversations about periods with both men and women um, on this journey, it's it's opened up a lot of conversations and even to the point now where my husband will have like not deep conversations, but him and his mates will say, oh yeah, you know, such and such, blah, blah. And oh yeah, you know, that, you know, people who might be going through, um, you know, other, you know, fertility issues or whatever, who something, something might come up and, and they actually know each other. Oh, you're, uh, yeah, I'm familiar with, um, you know, ovaries. I'm familiar with a uterus. And so it's great to see on that level guys engaging with it and it, and, it, and it not being a weird thing. And, you know, so I, I said something to my dad the other day and he kind of got a bit like embarrassed. I said, Dad, it's cool. Like it, it's it's biology. It's medical. We don't need to feel embarrassed about it. <laughs> mm. 
Yep. We need yeah. to talk about it more. Absolutely. Dinner party conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with uh, with tampons, uh, a while ago I when I was reading about environmental impact on infertility, fertility, women's health, dioxins came up quite a bit. And mm-hmm. uh, there is a connection between dioxins and tampon use. And in monkeys they found that dioxins can actually cause endometriosis, uh, which takes me back to organic tampons and maybe why if we are going to be putting tampons up our vajayjays that they be organic. Uh, Mm. Do you have any other uh, things you want to share with us about any specific chemicals and tampon Mm. use? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the dioxins because that's one when I was researching that just shocked the pants off me. I just couldn't believe that they were putting this chemical, this it's a it's basically, you know, found in chlorine bleaching. So if you're using cotton to make your tampons, you don't need to bleach them because they're already white. So there's the problem, first of all, is you're making them out of like a wood pulp. Um, so then they're bleaching them with uh, chlorine that contains dioxin, dioxins. And you're right, it is linked to cancer, reproductive issues, you know, endocrine disruption, even like basically basic allergic reactions like rashes. Um, and when I was researching endo as well, I, I read about the um, exposure to um, dioxins and other endocrine disrupting chemicals that uh, impact um, endo. And so even though they don't know the original true cause of, of endo, there is a suspicion that it is linked to these endocrine disrupting chemicals and and these chemicals do impact women very differently to how they impact men because they disrupt our hormonal cycle so it is just dumbfounding to think that they are putting these kinds of products into our tampons that go into the very part of our body that is most affected like it just it's just stupidity Mm. (laughs) um you know and then considering you know, the other things that are in them like, you know, parabens and plastic and SLS and it's 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 just absolutely crazy. With your personal, uh, you know, personal hygiene use, uh, tampons versus pads versus period underwear, I don't know if you use period underwear, but or mm. even menstrual cups, do you mm. find that, and I've heard this from some patients, that when they use tampons they actually have more painful periods. Have you heard of anything like that? What's your experience? Because I know for me, if I use tampons, I will have a more painful period. If I use my Modi body underwear, which I do now, my periods are less painful. Now, I don't know yeah. if that's a psychological thing or whether it's real. Mm, I do think I've heard anecdotally from people um, that they think they bleed for less days when they use a cup. Uh or when they use tampons. I know a few um, of my friends and I have actually transitioned more to using pads and underwear rather than putting something up us because we actually just want that clear, absolute clearing. Um, and I, I think it comes down to the kind of period you have. So uh, I have a very heavy period. I can't you I can't rely on pads and um undies I go through like several undies a day mm. <laughs> when I so I, I do I use um I love Modi Bodhi 
Um, and I love, I used to love my cup, but it constantly dislodged. And it's kind of ironic, Dr. Tash, because you, you're my gyno, so you're probably the only person in the world who can tell me exactly why my cup is dislodging. I must have, like, a funny vagina or something. <laughs> but, you know, it was just dangerous, me wearing a cup. And so um, I, I, I did end up going back to tampons just because it, it provides, I guess, that security for me and I feel a little bit more confident and, like, I can um, head out in the day if I need to. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... So for me, I kind of just, you know, jump through each one of them and, and I, I prefer to be able to just sort of bleed it out and not always be shoving something up there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess, you know, the conversations I have had with um, different friends, they all have different experiences and some people, you know, swear by one one way or another. But I have heard um, a few people, yeah, say the pain is a little bit different or, um, you know, they can't even sometimes in their site, in their period, they can't even use a tampon because it's, it's too painful to even put anything up there. I suppose the great thing about personal hygiene is uh, there are quite a lot of options out there for us as women. Yeah. And it's nice to now lucky. have, you know, the period underwear and the cup. I remember mm-hmm. not having those as options. And now we have those two options in addition to uh, tampons and pads and hey, for many years, women were using and still doing different parts of the world, leaves, old rags, different things. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting looking back at what women used to do. I mean, I think in like ancient Egypt, they would like wrap cotton around a stick or a piece of wood mm. and pop it up there. <laughs> it's amazing what the Egyptians would get up to. What, an, what a fascinating <laughs> culture. Like seriously, if only I could go back in time – Egypt, would be, it would be definitely one of them. I wonder, what, yeah, what Queen Hatshepsut did, you know, or Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah, oh, she probably didn't even get her period. She probably had some, like, herb they gave her. <laughs> She's like, I'm too good for this. <laughs> You're, um, you, you mentioned earlier that you have endometriosis. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so, well, you were actually the first person who suggested that I might have endo um, back in, in March this year. So I'm kind of suspected for a while that there was something wrong. And, you know, I, throughout my 20s, my period did start to get a little bit more painful. And I mentioned there'd be some days when I'd have to go home from work. Um, and I certainly couldn't get through a period without, you know, popping a couple of naprogesic. And naprogesic was the only thing that would work for me. Uh, and, you know, and, and and it was normal, right? You know, all your friends had a bit of period pain and it's so subjective. You don't know if yours is really bad or you just have really low pain threshold. So for a long time, I just thought I must have a low pain threshold, you know, suck it up, Beth, get to that body attack class, you're fine. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and that's why it's so important we have these conversations. Um, and, and when I started the periodical and I started having more conversations about periods, I started to realise that mine was not normal. And though period pain is common, it is not normal and it's a sign that something is wrong and it could be as simple as a hormonal imbalance or it could be something as serious as endometriosis. And so yeah, it was really um, back in March when I came to see you and you know, talking through my pain, uh, that 
you finally looked me in the eye and said, you need a laparoscopy. I think you have endo. And it was a massive relief. I mean, it was devastating to hear because no one wants to hear that they might have a chronic health condition that there is no cure for. Um, no one wants to hear that, but it's a relief to know that there is something wrong um, with you. And and I had suffered for many years with other conditions, you know, um, you know, gut health conditions and been diagnosed with IBS, which I've since learned is a comorbidity with endo. So, yeah, fast forward to, to now, I've finally had my um, laparoscopy. I had an excellent surgeon in um, Dr. Nesrin Varol here in Sydney, and it was, it was delayed um, five times because of COVID, which that was really hard mentally sitting at home, knowing that there was this thing happening inside of me. Um, I ended up having an ultrasound that did confirm endo before the surgery. Uh, so, yeah, you know, went into the surgery and, and was very, very nervous. There's nothing quite like going into a surgery and not knowing what they're going to find. Um, you know, I was prepped really well. I was very aware of what was going on, going in, you know, the risks, you know, if it was on my bowel, if it was on my um, bladder or ovaries and uterus, what that would mean. Um, so going in, I was terrified and they had to sedate me. <laughs> um, but I had this, you know, beautiful team of women that just kind of stood around me and I had all my beautiful girlfriends and sisters and grandmas and mum texting me and I felt really, um, I felt so supported by my my woman tribe. Um, and, yeah, so the, the, the surgery was a real success and they found a lot of endo, um, which I guess didn't surprise me given um, the pain, but, it, you know, it the amount of endo doesn't actually equate to pain levels. So there's, there's so many surprises and unknowns with endo. Um, so, you know, some people might have a level one um, endo and, you know, be calling an ambulance every month for their pain. So there's just so much I've learnt about the condition and, you know, a real lack of, of medical knowledge um, about it. But, uh, you know... I feel like I've recovered um, quite well. It's now been two months and I'm pretty much back to normal. Um, my little scars are healing and, yeah, yeah I'm feeling a lot better um, about having endo and, and, you know, the knowledge that we have now of how to manage it is, is I'm really fortunate to have that. And do you feel that your diagnosis will change the way you do things with the periodical? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just, you know, talking about what is a normal period and giving women um I, I mean i get questions all the time from people and i and i'm not a doctor or you know anyone who knows anything so i always refer on elsewhere but people saying hey like i've got this thing do you think that's normal <laughs> and you know and and creating a safe space for people to ask questions and um to become aware i think it is really important and the more people that do that um, so with, you know, podcasts like The Fanny Mechanic, you know, it's a, these great resources that women have to engage and learn more so that they can be advocates for their health. Because, you know, I didn't come to you blindly. I came to you because I'd, I knew something was wrong and I researched my butt off and I sought you out and I knew that you, <laughs> you would help me and, and that not everyone has the resource or the knowledge to do that. I was just fortunate because it's an area of interest of mine that I found it. But I, I probably could have easily gone a few more years not knowing 
this was going on in my body. I've just finished reading um, Gabrielle Jackson's Pain and Prejudice. Have you read that book? I haven't, but it's on my list because, yeah, it's totally applicable right now. Yeah, I, I recommend every woman read this book. Um, it's one of those books that every single woman should have on her shelf. Mm. And uh, in reading that book, it made me realise that there are so many women who suffer unnecessarily, but especially at the hands of the medical system, which sometimes and often just says, oh, you're in pain, put up with it, it's just periods, go home. And mm. uh, uh, I recommend that book highly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I listened to a podcast with her recently and just on uh, how much women are, are dismissed for our pain and even down to um, it's something along the lines of, and you might remember this better than me, but um, more men have heart disease but more women die from it mm. because it's not recognised. Their symptoms are different to a man's symptoms and so it's not recognised by healthcare professionals when they have um when they're having a heart attack. And also because women having a heart attack present a little differently to men, the typical heart attack that's written up in the medical journals is that described mainly in men, whereas the symptoms and the signs are different in women. And we know that women haven't been studied nearly as much as men, especially when Mm. it comes to medical research. And uh, in her book, Gabrielle Jackson talks a lot about that as well and the need for us to actually include women in medical research, and yes, men do get endometriosis too, apparently. But uh, do I don't they? know. What, yes, yes, apparently so. Um, I've not. How? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I should probably know that, but I, I'd have to delve into wow. the literature. But yeah, yeah. In, in reading in my studies, that did come up a bit. Um, wow. Mm. That's fascinating. Yes. Well, that might mean that we get some answers. There might be a solution to it. <laughs> it would just mean that, you know, imagine if it'd have to be a lot more men that would have yeah. to have endometriosis for huge changes to happen. But anyway, there are good things happening in this area. I know that the government is yeah, now putting are. in a lot more money into researching uh, endometriosis and into pain management. One of um, a young girl that I met up with recently uh, told me that there is actually a free course that you can do as part of the Royal North Shore Hospital on pain. Um, it's called ADAPT. And uh, if you have chronic pain, it's, it's, I would think it's a, it'd be an amazing thing to do. I think it, it's a full-on one-week or two-week course. Wow. Uh, so there are resources like that. And I never knew about this until this young girl told me. And I thought, how come I don't know this? I'm a gynecologist yeah. who sees a lot of women with pain. How, how is it that I don't know this? So anyway, I'm telling you all about it now. (laughs) Um, So, Bethany, is anything else you wanted to share with us about endometriosis before I ask you some more getting-to-know-you questions? Yeah, I think think the main thing is just like, you know, for women to trust their gut. A few years ago I I started to suspect that something was wrong and – I was dismissed by people who um, met well um, and who thought they could help me in different ways, but I knew something was wrong. And I think just just that really important piece of, you know, as women, we are very intuitive. And if you think something is wrong with you, go get it checked. Te- te- go get it checked, and don't don't let people dismiss it. 
Um, I think that's just the most important thing. And, and finding practitioners who are on your side. Um, yeah, that's the, I think that's the most important thing for women to know. Good advice. Now, your inspirations, what people, mm. which people have been your biggest inspirations in life? Yeah, good question. <laughs> Look, I think, you know, this is going to sound really cliche, but like my mum, <laughs> my mum is a huge inspiration to me. She she went back to studying um, in her early 40s. She decided she wanted to be a child psychologist. So she was a, she'd been a teacher and she'd been raising us kids, um, you know, very busy mum of four, raising kids and, and teaching full time and woke up one day and said, nope, I want to be a psychologist and that's what I'm going to do with my life. And And she went off and she did it and just watching her do that and how hard she worked and now she's got an amazing career and, uh, you know, I'm so proud of her for doing that. And so I think, you know, sometimes we think in life it's too late to do what we love, um, but it never is. And her mum, my grandma, was similar. She, you know, was a, a 60s housewife and and then one day said, no, nope, that's not what I'd want to do with my life. And and off she went to uni. She had dropped out of school at 13. So that, that real inspiration of these women who um, I've watched to say, this is what I want in life and I'm going to make it happen for me. Um, yeah, that, they're probably my biggest inspirations. And, and then just, I guess, you know, anyone, particularly any woman who has overcome some real adversity to to launch a business and to and to be a successful businesswoman, I just I just take my hat off to them because it, it, it is hard and, um, you know, some people I look at them, I'm like, I don't know how you do it, but I'm bloody impressed. <laughs> I want to be like you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that reminds me of today. I went for a walk with my mother and we walked past this coffee shop and I made a comment about that the the woman who had the coffee this shop prior to selling it um, did better than the current owner. And my mum goes, well, yeah, she's a woman. Of course she's going to be better at business. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she, you know, went into – we have women have more responsibilities and are more invested. This is all in Greek, of course. And I thought, oh, <laughs> it was just the cutest little conversation I had with my mum. Yes, That's women, awesome. women. Yes. Uh, yes. Favourite books you can share with us? Yeah. I think, you know, books of all time growing up was anything by Judy Bloom, and I probably think of her in the context of this conversation because, uh, you know, she – she really, I guess, gave young girls and young adults permission to talk about and think about things like periods and sex and contraception. Um, and so my favourite book by her was Summer Sisters and I think I read it a million times as a teenager. Um, and I lost my copy about 15 years ago and I've, I, I've been thinking during lockdown it's actually probably a nice um, a nice book to revisit because it, it's just, you know, takes me back to a special time. But I love that book because it does go into, you know, different things that you experience as a teenager. And I just think it's so important for young girls to read. Um, what was, what book think, was it where she actually had the saying, was it her, the bigger, the better, the tighter, the sweater? Was it Judy ooh, Bloom? As in the bigger, the I boobs, the tighter, the sweater. Uh, I don't know that one. Yeah, it, and I think it's it, the it anniversary of her book, isn't it? Fifty years of um, Judy Bloom or something. Something like that. She's been around for a while. Is it? Is it? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. 
Maybe, yes. So Judy Bloom. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, I love um I lo- I've really I really resonate with books about women <laughs> and women going through adversity. Um and so probably my favorite is A Thousand Splendid Sons. Uh that came out, you know, probably nearly twenty years ago, fifteen years ago now. But um I just remember reading that for the first time and just I think I wept the whole way through yeah. it. Um, but again, you know, story of, of sisterhood and overcoming adversity. Um, and then my favourite book around periods and women's stuff is Woman Code by Alicia Vitti, who really was the one who introduced me to the concept of cycling with my periods and understanding my hormones. And, and that book in no uncertain terms has changed my life. Has she written yeah. another book subsequently? Yeah, she's just released a book called In the Flow. That's right. I've got a copy of yeah. that book. Oh, do you? Mm. Yeah, I um, it's on my list. I picked it up. And I think it's quite similar to Woman Code. Just probably goes in a little bit deeper to the flow. But I actually sign up to her sort of monthly, monthly flow kind of. Oh, what is it like a, a group, and you get updates on you know different recipe ideas for different stages in your flow, oh, that's great. different workouts, and yeah, it's just really good because then you don't have to think, oh, I'm in my ovulation phase. What should I do? It's, it's great. It's yeah. a really good resource. Actually, now I've just remembered Judy Bloom. One of the things she used to say was, "I must, I must increase the size of my bust. The bigger, <laughs> the better. The tighter, the sweater. Something like that." Sorry, <laughs> just coming yeah. to my head again. Judy yeah. Bloom. Any other books? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, I think my favourite ones that I've read recently, I read um, Eleanor Oliphant is um, Completely Fine. Have you read that? Uh, uh, my cousin gave me a copy of that book and I haven't oh. read it yet. It's on my bookshelf. It's definitely worth it is, reading. Yeah, it's divine. It, I loved it. I mean, I heard from a couple of people they didn't like it and I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, it, it's just this most gorgeous character and you just have so much empathy for her and it's just, I just couldn't put it down. And Reese Witherspoon actually has now um, started making it into a Ooh. film, of course. Yeah. So she I gets her hot one. little hands on all of those good books, doesn't she? She does. Anything Reese says is good, I read. So the other one I read recently was um, Where the Crawdads Sing, which uh, is also now being made into a film. And, uh, yeah, that's that's incredible as well, again, about, about a woman overcoming <laughs> Mm, is that the uh, orange covered book? Uh, it's it's. I think it's a pinky cover with like a, a yeah. river and some trees. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot like of a great sunset. things about that one. So you read yeah. you read a lot of books then? I do. Yeah, I always have a few on the go. I'm actually reading at the moment. I just looked at my bedstand to remind me. The red tent. Which Ooh, that sounds like a vagina having a period. <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it is. It's about women in ancient times and how they. It's not really just about their periods, but it, there's a lot of them sitting in the red tent together, or birthing in the red tent, or having herbs or whatever. It's a great. It's a great read. Awesome. Really You're giving me a lot to, to read. <laughs> yeah. Now, favorite favorite uh, songs. Songs that make you happy. Mm. Well. If I need a pick-me-up, anything by Beyonce. Um, if I want to dance and have a, like, sing it out at karaoke, dance with somebody um, by Whitney Houston. Mm. That, that <laughs> film clip's fantastic. I remember her legs oh, just looking so long 
as long as I am tall. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, so Dance With Somebody was actually the song um, my husband and I walked into our reception to. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's just my absolute go-to, all-time go-to. And dream collaboration, do you have one or two or three? Mm, I mean, I'm going to sound like really, really basic here, but I love Emma Watson and I love, I love what she talks about. Mm. Mm. And I'd love to, I'd love to work with her on a campaign around breaking period stigma and taboos and shames um, on like a global, on a global level. Um, but also love to work, collaborate with, you know, the likes of, you know, the UN or Plan or Save the Children or some great NGO, Oxfam, to really do a big fat campaign to eradicate period shame and make period products free for every girl in school in the world. That would be my dream. Well, it sounds like you're on that path. <laughs> I hope so. You're chipping, you're chipping away at that dream. Chipping away. And how about yeah. um, tips for people who are wanting to pull off a side hustle because periodical is a side hustle. You've got a full-time job, is that right? Yeah. And you're doing this on the side. So what tips do you have for people? Because that's that's a dream for many people I know to have a side, a successful side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. It was a dream for me for a long time as well. And I I don't know if we'd call it successful yet, but thank you. Um, Totally successful. (laughs) Well, I think the number one thing you have to have is like belief in yourself and grit. Um, Because at the end of the day, you're the only one who's going to care if this fails or not. And you're the only one who's going to make it work. So, um, you know, I have a very supportive husband, but he, he's not going to pack my boxes and do my social media for me. He's, you know, just going to pat me on the back and be like, cool, good on you. I have to have the grit and the determination and the self-belief to make it happen. Um, so I think that's the number one thing. And then number two, do not ever give up. I want to give up five times a day. Uh I have had moments where I'm like, I'm throwing the towel in, um, but just keep going and and don't make rash decisions like the day before you get your period that you're going to give up because, you know, the sun will always rise and you will have another lovely ovulation phase where you do feel inspired and so just keep going. Um, I think number three I'd say is to test and to learn. Uh, before diving in and investing lots of money into into anything, uh, it's just so important to make sure that the product has um, the right product market fit. That you've got, you know, who your customers are going to be, and they actually want to use your product. I guess I was lucky because I I know that women use tampons, but I really had to test: do they want them delivered? Do they want another tampon option? There are already tampon options out there, you know. So for me, it was realizing that women wanted a little bit more. Um, playfulness and information about their periods and so that's what I've brought into my product um so really just listening to your customer uh the other one I would say is social media it's really really important and we get really fixated on how many followers we have and you know how many people liked our latest post but you know that can disappear overnight and so the most important thing is your emailing email list um and building that up because these are our people, they're our customers. So I'd say that's that's really, really important. And and finally, just don't compare yourself to your competitors and 
you know, it's very easy to look at what other people are doing and think that you're not doing enough, you're not doing good enough, but instead use this use your competitors as an opportunity to really stoke your fire and make you keep going. Um, there's always going to be competitors and there's always going to be someone better than you, but, um, you know, iron sharpens iron, so... Yeah, Keep one going. of the um, one of my old um, mentors, Professor Jansen, he always used to say a bit of competition is good for you, and I'll never forget that actually because it's true. Mm. It is. Otherwise, we could become complacent, and we're like, "Oh well, you know, I'm top here. No one's going to knock me off," and that's boring. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting inspiration from your competitors. That can happen. Yeah, a lot. And yeah. uh, Instagram, when they got rid of the numbers of likes, did you think that was a good thing? Yeah, look, uh, as a as a citizen and an individual, I thought it was great because it took off that kind of competition, that hierarchy and that pressure. I mean, I stopped posting much anyway personally. Um, but, you know, as a, as a marketer, it did take me a while to adjust because <laughs> – that was a really great metric for people to see uh, that I'd done a really good post <laughs> to really validate my my position as a marketer. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was a really big adjustment, and I was just thinking about it the other day. It's it's been probably a year since since they did that, um, and who cares now? You know, we've all adjusted. Um, I don't think anyone's really losing sleep over their you know likes on photos now, um, and. Yeah, but it's interesting because you know, you're a marketer, so you see it quite differently, don't you? Yeah, I do. And and if I want to work with someone, it is a bit harder to actually see the quality of their audience and how engaged they are. I mean, you can kind of get around it, but um, yeah, it it does it does change the game a little. But I think overall, I I, I do really hope that it's had the intended benefit that they say it was to have in that um you know, people get less caught up in in social media and less worried about how they look on social media and more more concerned about how they're doing in real life. Mm. Yeah. Following their own path. Yeah. Yeah. Looking after themselves. Bethany, thank you so much for sharing uh, all of those tips and, and words of wisdom and uh, I'm going to go online now and order my periodical first <laughs> subscription because I've not done that yet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Tash. Thanks so much for having me. It was great chatting. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Bethany Killicoat, that it's inspired you to buy organic sanitary products whenever you can. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.